This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Join me as we pray. Uh, Almighty God, I do give you thanks. Uh, I give you thanks for uh, this church family, uh, that as we gather and see uh, the many children, especially who gather in this place this morning, uh, that we are reminded that we are family together, uh, that we are friends committed to Christ, uh, to your church, to one another, to not only laugh at the cute uh, stories they tell or cringe when they're our kids, uh, but to actually raise them up uh, to follow your son Jesus, uh, raise them up as friends to one another so they might experience the fullness of God's joy and the fullness of Christ's love uh, in this place and in this world because of one another. Lord, we offer them and all these things to you in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so this morning, we are uh, continuing, continuing a conversation uh, that we started about three weeks ago around the idea of, of too busy uh, to be present. Uh, and this sermon series has really been all about uh, the pressures that our culture, that our communities, uh, that our own choices uh, put on us, put on our schedules, on our time, on our energy, uh, that draw us away from the things that matter most in our lives. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, uh, and living healthy patterns of rest and work so that we might be most fruitful and we might fully live into God's calling uh, for our lives. Uh, we have uh, talked about lots of things, but we keep coming back to a singular theme, and that is God's primary answer to busyness, uh, God's primary answer to activity, uh, to filling our calendars, to dedicating our energy, to, to, to running dry, uh, is this idea of Sabbath. And so for much of this series, we continue to come back to the same reminder, same remembrance that uh, the Sabbath, the stop day, the state of pause, is a day that God created, uh, not simply to make God happy or to impose God's will on us, but for us, uh, for us as God's people, to pause, to stop, to be restored, to be refreshed, to be renewed, and then to be sent back into the world to be God's people. And so every week we have actually read uh, from Exodus chapter 20, and I want you to do that with me again this morning as we hear this word from God. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8. Hear God's commandment uh, through Moses from Mount Sinai. Moses says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or even the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested that seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so our hope throughout this series, and my hope for all of us, myself included, is that if we hear nothing else, if we are challenged by nothing else, uh, that we at least are able to encounter this reminder from God. Uh, this is the one commandment uh, that doesn't start with thou shalt or thou shalt not. Uh, it is simply a reminder and an important one. That as a people who are created in God's image, that are experiencing the imprintation of God's imago day on our lives, we are to reflect the rhythm that God chose uh, to help us live fully into God's dream for our lives. Uh, many of you have shared with me stories of how, in the beginning of this year, you have been trying out different patterns of Sabbath. 
You know, last week and the week before, we talked about the daily and the weekly and the monthly rhythms that, that can help us pause or stop uh, and experience God's presence. Uh, for some of you, what that has looked like is in your commute on, in the morning to work, uh, you have turned off the radio uh, and you have said, you know, I just need that silence. I need a place in a world full of noise that I can pull back uh, and hear and listen for God's still small voice. Uh, for others, you've found daily patterns of reading scripture or prayer or journaling, whether it's the way you start your day every morning or the way you end your day at night. Uh, and I would just commend those who are trying to find these patterns because I truly, truly believe that God is leading us into this rhythm, uh, not simply uh, for you know, God's glory, although I think that happens, but for our health, uh, for our patterns, for our hope as people trying to follow God. And so I would just challenge you to continue to find those rhythms, to find those patterns uh, every day, uh, every week, uh, every month, as you try to live out what it means to be God's followers uh, in this community uh, and in the world. Uh, there are several books I have been looking at, and I want to share a couple with you really quickly this morning. I know some of you have asked, uh, so what, what can we do? How can we uh, live more fully into this? How can we come alongside, either in your Sunday school classes or your small groups or just in your homes? Uh, the first is a book by Brother Lawrence. It's actually a collection of sayings and writings by Brother Lawrence. Uh, it is called The Practice of the Presence of God. And if you are looking for a simple book, uh, it's only simple in that it's, it's a short book, um, this is a great place to start. Uh, Brother Lawrence really does teach and preach. He's a 17th century monk and really talks about what it means to be a people who take seriously uh, practicing encountering God in your everyday rhythms and patterns. Uh, it is very short. I looked last night. It is still in print. It's on Amazon for $3. Uh, and so it is a simple, inexpensive, but highly effective way I think for you to come alongside this sermon series at home, you can use it for daily devotions, you can use it as a family conversation starter, uh, but just a great resource uh, for us in this season. Uh, the second book is a book uh, that I mentioned before as well, uh, it's called 24-6 by Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Uh, this book is a, a book by a doctor, uh, he is, was a physician uh, in the emergency room context and uh, was not a Christ follower, self-admittedly, uh, while he was a doctor, and began to experience Christ, the, the commands of God, the patterns of God and started to pull back and realize there was a healthier, better way to live. And so he has sort of countered this 24-7 culture we live in and has invited us into a 24-6, 24, 24 hours, six days a week uh, pattern where we are working for six days and then living into a seventh day of rest. And so again, a great companion to this, this series. And then the last one I want to draw your attention to, and this is a new one uh, for us, it's called Making Room for Life uh, by Randy Frazee. This morning, we're going to talk mostly about relationships and how healthy relationships, making room uh, for healthy Christ-centered relationships, uh, can lead us into better, healthier patterns. Uh, Randy Frazee is a pastor, uh, and he has confessed that the busyness and activity of church, good things he was doing, was actually drawing him away from healthy patterns. I think for many of us, that's actually the case. It's not that we're making bad choices in the sense we're choosing bad things to do. Uh, we're just choosing too many things to do. And as a pastor myself, I think that's one of the challenges my own family faces, that we are just doing too much. All of the things are good things. The choices we make are not between uh, what is good and what is bad. Uh, the choices we make are between often what is good and what is best for our rhythms in our lives. And so I would just encourage you again. I know uh, I think Sunday school class, there are at least one maybe. Are y'all doing this in Seekers? So there's at least one Sunday school class doing this, and I know that others have had this conversation. And so I would encourage you again. It's a great companion, especially if you find yourself moving at such a pace 
or filling your calendar with so many things that you're not experiencing the depth and the richness of relationship that God has for you. Uh, this morning, we're actually going to begin uh, at the beginning. And so again, if you have your Bible with me, I invite you to flip uh, to the very beginning, uh, to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, in Genesis 1, uh, if you know the story of creation, the first creation story, uh, you hear this pattern, that every day God creates something, uh, beginning with night and day, separating darkness from light, and then moving into uh, the waters from the earth, uh, ultimately the, the sea and all that is in them. And every day after creation is done, there's this rhythm. And it says, uh, there was evening and there was morning on that day, and God saw that it was good. And for six days, as God reflected on creation, he looked back and God saw that it was good. God's creation was good. Then we move into Genesis 2, and we walk through the second creation account and pick up the story in verse 18. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. The first time that God is disappointed in creation, the first time that God speaks the words, It is not good, is when he looks out over creation, sees all the things that he has created, all the the patterns and the animals in the creation, and he looks at Adam, looks at man, human, and realizes that the human is alone. And in that loneliness, in that aloneness, God says, it is not good. And so God begins to look over all creation for a suitable partner for human, for man, for Adam, and God finds nothing, no one suitable for Adam, no partner suitable, no help, helper suitable for him. And so God creates uh, human 2.0, the new and improved version. God creates woman. And in woman, God finally finds a creation he can be pleased with again. And woman becomes the partner for man, the helpmate, the, the mutual partner that moves through creation together. And in that, God is pleased once again. And so while I wanted to start here is I wanted to remind each of us that from the very beginning, we were created for companionship. We were created for connection. We were created to be in mutual partnership with another, with other. And in that creation, in that connection, we find more fully God's joy and God's vision and version of our lives and of our world. Now, I will say this, uh, we often tie this passage to marriage, although I think that it is not exclusively for marriage. In fact, I think marriage is only one piece of the places where we might find that fulfillment. It is a place where, for some, uh, you do find that helper, that partner to journey through life with together. But we also see this pattern throughout Scripture where it's not only in the marriage covenant that we find these relationships. You know, King David Uh, one who had several wives and several servants and a whole kingdom to look after. Uh, In that relationship, a guy that that God was pleased with and yet fell short over and over again, we see a a primary relationship and a friendship with Jonathan. In a friend, David found someone who might be able to challenge him, support him, journey with him, even in the midst of all these other relationships that existed. With Moses, the one that God set apart, Uh, the pivotal story of Israel to lead his people out of slavery 
into wilderness, a pattern we've come back to again and again. Moses also could not do it alone. Moses refused. He said, I can't do this. And God uh, gave him Aaron and Miriam, siblings, to come alongside Moses, family to come alongside, to support, to challenge, to walk with, as Moses led God's people. And even Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the one who was going to be the bearer of God's son, Mary, whose fiancé was also hearing this news, she fled that region to see her older family member, probably her cousin, Elizabeth, an older, wiser mentor who she could find comfort and wisdom in. And it was in Elizabeth that Mary found the confidence uh, to move forward in trusting God to be the one who would bear God's son. And so it is in marriage, but it is also in friendship. It is also in family. It is also in mentors and relationships and, and the wisdom of those who are older or younger than we are that we find this companionship that God desires for us. This connection, this mutual, mutually beneficial connection that we might journey through life with together. So this morning, we're going to ask several questions. But the first is simply this. Who in your life, who are those people that God has placed in your life or that you have made choices to journey alongside that might be those partners, that might be those companions, that might be those friendships and relationships to journey through this life with together? Who are those people? And this morning, as we look at the quality of those relationships and the, the direction of those relationships and the things that stand in the way of those relationships, I would just challenge you, if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Maybe write down some names. For some of us, it will take some intentionality to re-pursue and to re-engage with folks that might help us uh, journey through this life of faith uh, together. So that's the, the first question. Who are those people for us? Who might those people be for us? The second one, as we think through that piece, is what do those, relation, what do those relationships look like? You know, what does it look like to be a people who want to faithfully follow Christ, who, who want to be God's people? What is the quality, what is the behavior, the ethic of Christian relationship? Uh, I'm going to invite you to flip with me to Philippians chapter 2. In Paul's letter in the New Testament to the church at Philippi, uh, he writes, and this is a pattern again throughout the New Testament, And this morning, unfortunately, we'll just be scratching the surface of a very deep and important conversation. But Paul writes specifically about what those relationships might look like as he prepares to talk about who Jesus was. So Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1, as Paul writes to his church, Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit any compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. One of the things that I often ask is what is the character of our relationships? What should they be? Who should we be for one another? And in Paul's answer, he says this, to be those who follow Christ, to be those who desire to look like Christ, to, to walk with Christ, our task is to be a people to see the other, to see others in our lives first as better than ourselves. We are to see their needs and set aside our own interests for the sake of the other. In humility, we're not to see ourselves as better than other, but as those who mutually submit 
to one another, who offer ourselves on behalf of one another. And this is a two-way street. The relationships we enter into is the same thing comes back to us. When we give ourselves away, we often see others who are also pursuing Christ give themselves uh, to us in return. And in that mutual submission, in that partnership, in that offering, we experience the fullness of what Christ gave for us. Now, as many of you know, I'm a parent to two children. Uh, our son uh, turns 10 uh, in a few months, in March. Our daughter, our daughter turns uh, 8 this Thursday. Uh, she reminded me even a few minutes ago that her birthday was Thursday. <laughs> and one thing that children do for us as parents is they teach us a lot about what it means to give our lives away. What it means to not only uh, be required to give our lives away, but what joy we find in giving our lives away to see them full of God's joy and God's love. They also remind us explicitly what it means to give our lives away. Uh, My daughter, again, her birthday is Thursday, and this past week has been all about her brother. Uh, He was in a spelling bee. He had a soccer game. He it was all about Coleman, and she was a great sister. She helped him study for his spelling bee. She cheered him on in 35-degree weather yesterday morning at 8.30 in Greenville. Um, they're, they're actually there right now. Uh, I told my wife I would sacrifice and be here for her so she could be in the cold with him. And about halfway through this weekend, she actually pulled my wife aside and said, Mommy, you know, Thursday's my birthday. Can Thursday just be all about me? <laughs> Sometimes it's important for us to be reminded uh, by the littlest of voices uh, that part of our task, part of her who had poured herself out for her brother, who had poured herself out to encourage and to help and to support a sibling. I love that several of our children say, my brother is my best friend. I hope that when his brother can still talk, they're still best friends. (laughs) But I I love that imagination. And we tell our children all the time that you have each other. You're a team. And as a team, it is your job to walk with each other, to support each other, to challenge each other, to love each other when times are tough and when times are great. And I think in our kids, we get the joy of being reminded of that and seeing that come true in so many, so many ways. I think one of the things that we need to constantly be reminded of as a church is that we too are a family. As I close and worship often, one of the benedictions and blessings I will often offer to us is that as people who are known as daughters and sons of God, people who are known as God's family, may we leave together in this place, from this place, challenged by God's Holy Spirit to be a people who when people out there see us, they might see Jesus. See, that's the purpose of relationship. When Paul talks about what it means to be uh, together in Philippians, he says that his desire that we are his joy would be complete when we would be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and full compassion with one another. That we would uh, look to, not to our own interest, but the interest of other. And that we would have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. So the purpose of these healthy relationships, the purpose of these mutual relationships, the purpose of brothers and sisters in Christ who journey together is to lead one another to look and think and act more like Jesus. That's God's invitation. God's desire for all of us is that we would walk together. We would challenge each other. We would love each other. We would forgive one another. We would hope with one another. We would comfort one another. And in those places, because we knew one another, 
we would look, sound, and think more like Christ. And sometimes we too need to be reminded that we are a team. We are in this thing together. And when we covenant to be in relationship with one another, which three more families will do this morning as they join us in membership, we are covenanting to be a team together. And that by the gifts and strengths of one another, we are better together than we are apart. But what that takes is us setting aside time and space to actually give ourselves to each other. And one of the last things that we'll look at this morning as we close this piece of our worship is some of the barriers that we face, some of the challenges we face in actually doing that. And one of the things that my wife and I find constantly is that we are constantly challenged to actually find space and create room to be in that relationship with other people, to give ourselves to others, to trust others, to challenge us. And so that's a a huge challenge for us, I think, in this culture and in this church. Several years ago, uh, a Harvard professor named Robert Putnam wrote a book. It was around 2000 called Bowling Alone. And he had written articles in the 90s about uh, the trend in our country and our culture where uh, engagement in community service and community groups like Lions Club or Rotary or Kiwanis or, or many of these groups that have been in our communities had started to decline gradually over several decades. If any of you are in those groups today, you know that those attendance continues to decline in most places. Even church engagement had been, begun to decline. And he began to look at these patterns and he, he realized there were several things that were competing for our attention. And that, our, that America, particularly as a culture, was moving uh, from a culture of we, a culture of community, uh, to a culture of me, of individualization. And even in bowling, uh, a, a sport that had been defined by leagues, uh, in, the increase of activity in bowling had actually increased. More people were bowling, but less were in leagues together. They were losing sight of this community that existed in those places. And he had several hypotheses about why that was true. I'm going to show several of them up here in a moment. I think, Steve, you've got those. One was that we were busier than ever, or at least we perceived ourselves to be busier than ever. And through busyness and through time pressure, the pressures that time put on us, we were choosing to withdraw and reserve that time for ourselves. Uh, We didn't want to be in those relationships the same way. Another thing was residential mobility and economics. He said, for many of our communities, the place that we were born was not the place we were going to retire. How many of you were actually born here in Apex or in Cary or Wake County? Yeah, there's like 10 of you. <laughs> and there's like five more raising their hand and they're all under 10 years old. <laughs> the reality is, for many of us, this isn't the place we were raised. It's not the place where our families are. It's not the place where our parents are. It's not the place where our grandparents served or our grandparents invested in. And so one of the arguments was because we are moving from community to community, we're constantly trying to find new ways to engage, new ways to build family, and eventually that wears off and we simply retreat. He talks about suburbanization or what we call the garage door factor, where in suburbia, uh, for many people, the pattern of their lives is they get in their cars in the morning, roll up the garage door, back out, commute to work, drive back in the evening, pull into the garage and close the garage door and go inside. And if you choose, you never have to meet or see your neighbor. For us and my family, when Aaron and I first moved back to the area, we lived this for at least a year. We had a great little townhouse with a garage on it. We'd pull in, we'd go inside, and we loved being married. And we, you know, we just didn't know our neighbors. And then we got a dog. The dog didn't want to be inside, <laughs> ever. So she escaped all the time. And eventually, we became known as the family with that brown dog, so much so that we would meet neighbors we had never seen before, because they would say, we thought someone else brought this dog home to you yesterday, so we figured it was yours. (laughs) 
We finally got out and began to meet our neighbors and encounter our neighbors, and we have built relationships and friendships that even to this day uh, we still engage with from our first home together over 15 years ago. And we have journeyed with these neighbors, with these friends, through loss, through mourning, through pain, and through joy and celebration. Another was moving into the women into the workforce. And again, he would just look at this place and ask the question, with more dual-income homes, are we seeing, again, that exhaustion and retreat pulling us out of the desire to be in a relationship? But he came to this last one. And he said there's lots of studies that can sort of defend or deny the first four, because every study I've ever done, this has rung true. He said whether it's television, electronic revolution, or other technological change, as technology has changes we are actually getting more and more isolated with every technological change. Steve, I think you have a picture of a radio. <laughs> who knows this picture? Who, who lived this picture? Who, who, like, for who was this your family? Yeah. For some of you, this is, this is what you knew. Maybe you had the first radio in your community or in your home, and, and you'd gather around for big events, whether there was a presidential speech or a ball game, and you'd gather, and, and as a family, you'd have a shared experience together. And you'd actually be able to let this be something that drew you together and not apart. Let's see the next one, Steve. <laughs> Who knows this picture? This is a dinner table with a family gathered around, and, and they are not connected to each other at all. They have devices and phones and tablets in front of them, and they are being drawn to other things even while they are present together. And one of the realities that many of us face is that we are more connected than ever, and yet we are lonelier as a people than we've ever been. We are more isolated as a community than we've ever been. And one of the choices that we're going to have to make as God's people is will we live in a rhythm and a pattern that mirrors the culture and the community in which we live, or will we begin to make choices that break free from those patterns that break free from those distractions, that break free from those activity, that give us a new way to discover the relationships that God designed for us. That's the choice that we get to make. And it's a choice. Because given the pressure of culture, given the pressure of the community in which we live, the reality is for many of us, that's the, that's the world we know. This morning in Contemporary, I preached at 935, and I had someone in the back that said, yep, and I tell them to put down their darn phones. <laughs> but the reality is, sometimes we have to make those choices. And whether it's devices, whether it's distraction, whether it's simply activity, if we're not careful, the busyness that technology, the busyness that activity, the busyness that suburban, suburbanization brings will draw us away from the things that actually matter most to us. There's an author and a mom and a blogger. Uh, her name is uh, Jessica Rosenberg. Uh, Jessica wrote this. She was writing about social media and Facebook and Instagram. And she was talking about uh, what it looked like uh, in her life and the 900 Facebook friends she had and the Instagram followers and all those things. And Steve, she wrote this. You hear that quote, Steve? After she sort of walked through this, she goes, well, here's my revelation. Because what I really miss is those deeper conversations. I miss knowing more. And no, I don't need to get emails from those 900 people. Because frankly, I'm not that close. <laughs> Nor have I ever been that close to most of these people. But my friends, 
my true friends. I miss them. And I think that these superficial conversations and check-ins, which give me that false feeling of having connected with people, are the reason I feel lonely and dissatisfied as I sit here at my desk. Because I'm sure that every single friend I think I've touched base with feels the same way about me. And really, nobody knows how I'm doing, really doing, over here. I think when Jessica mourns our relationships where she is fully known and where she fully knows people. So this is my invitation and challenge this morning. As we talk about what it means to be too busy to be present in relationships that really matter. I would just challenge you. Find ways to find those friendships, to find those communities, to find those spaces where you might not simply know about someone, but you might actually know someone. That you can trust them enough to know you as well. Because from the beginning, that's what we've been designed for. God wants us in relationship. God wants us to be in those partnerships that are mutually beneficial, that draw us together to be the body of Christ. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we do give you thanks. Uh, We thank you for this church, this church family, these brothers and sisters who we sit beside week after week, and, and we just ask that maybe one of them was part of this journey for me. Uh, maybe one of them or the folks that uh, journey alongside us and, and lead us to become more like you. Or maybe it's in a small group or a Sunday school class. Maybe it's simply with our families. But we do ask that you would lead us uh, to, to talk, to share, to confess, to forgive, to love, so that as we move together as your family, when people see us outside this place, they truly do see a people who are growing to look more and more like your son Jesus. Amen.